I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome to the 50th episode of Look Ma, No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am so grateful that you are joining me today and that you have joined me on this journey, whether it was from the very beginning or if this is your first episode. I am so grateful for you, for your encouragement, your insight, your input. Many of you have recommended guests to me that have personally just changed my life and then changed the lives of many people who listen to this podcast. My gratitude really knows no bounds. I decided to put this episode together. This is a solo episode because I was on a road trip recently with my family to Colorado, which I have to say, um, you know, my fellow Houstonians, this is a very, very hard time to be a Houstonian, to be a Texan. Um, Same with other many other states in the country right now that are suffering with a second wave of the coronavirus. And to just get out and get some headspace for um, a little over a week was just a game changer for me. I, I, it's so interesting. The second I got out of here, I just got this rush of ideas and and exciting thoughts about what I wanted to do with my podcast, and this was one of them. I wanted to put a um, a fiftieth episode together that discusses the top ten or perhaps eleven things that I have learned throughout the life of this podcast that have completely changed the way that I parent. Um, I look back at uh, photos of myself from when I first started recording Look Ma No Hands, and it's like I'm not even the same. I don't parent the same way, and I never imagined that this would be my journey. I really started putting this um, together just to have conversations um, about what I was experiencing as a mother of two, as a mother in general, that I thought related really to everyone's life, mother or not. Um, was my intention to feel like I had transformed and learned so many tools that would help me parent my children in a way that has brought me more peace and serenity and joy along the way. I don't remember thinking that that was something that would happen, but I look back and I have learned so much that has just become part of my subconscious, um, nuggets of wisdom that I've gotten through these last 50 episodes. So I thought, If you've been listening this whole time, um, some of these ideas are going to sound familiar, but there's just a little refresher. And if you're new, this is a great place to start because these are the top 10 or 11, perhaps, things that I have learned um, in the last 49 episodes of Look Ma No Hands that have been game changers for me. I hope you enjoy them as much as I have. So my number one takeaway comes from parenting coach Randy Rubenstein. And this is something that I apply every time my child is having a meltdown or acting out in any way. And it's Q-tip. Quit taking it personally. And when Randy came on my show, she repeated it over and over. She said, kids having a meltdown, kids acting out, kids being aggressive, Q-tip, Q-tip, Q-tip. And that's always how it comes up in my head. This completely saved me from having that thought that pops up in my head whenever my kid is acting out of line. And that thought is, I can't let her get away with this. Whenever I'm having that thought, I know I'm in trouble. I used to have that thought and think it was real and think, okay, I really can't let her get away with this. I have to find some way to make her understand that this behavior is unacceptable. But here's what Randy sort of goes on to teach in her episode. Um, All behavior is communication. Another one of my favorite lessons from Randy. So when our kids are acting out, 
they're actually trying to communicate how they feel with us in the only ways that they know how. And if we focus too much on the behavior, we miss this opportunity to be a space to be open and um, understanding of whatever our children are experiencing, which is a very challenging thing to do and a very challenging adjustment to make, especially when most of us were raised with this understanding that certain types of behavior are completely unacceptable. And something that I hear so often from parents and that I know Randy hears so often from parents is, but how do I communicate to my child that it's an unacceptable way to express herself by throwing her toys across the room at the wall or trying to hit me or shouting really, really loudly for an extended period of time? And Randy's advice and her answer to that question was really also another game changer for me. Get your kid to safety first, emotional safety. Think of yourself as, you know, you're you're the parent, you're in charge, you're navigating the ship. Um, you got to get everybody to safety before you fix the other problems. So when our kids are really, really emotional, they're in a certain part of their brain where they can't really hear us if we're trying to correct them about anything. So we connect before we correct. Um, once we connect with them and we address whatever the underlying issue is, once our child has calmed down and they're breathing normally again, we can address the way that they responded. So, hey, you know, I noticed you got really, really upset when I took this away from you. What's some, what are some other ways that we can express to mommy or daddy um, that we're upset without throwing a toy at your sister's head or whatever might have happened. They can actually hear you once they're calm. This piece of advice, this Q-tip, saved me so much agony because there was always this voice in my head saying that as a parent, I needed to be this sort of enforcer. And when my kid would act out in any type of way, there was always a part of me thinking I was being too much of a softy if I didn't discipline immediately. And then if I would discipline immediately and start correcting her behavior, it just escalated things. And then I would feel like I was failing. This just rescued me from having to deal with that, that her behavior is not something to be taken personally, but rather a way that she's trying to communicate with me. And it's something that I can address, but addressing it is not something that I need to do while she is in an emotional state. I also think about it, think about somebody who's really drunk, right? When somebody's really drunk, it's probably not the time to tell them something really important to you or something about their behavior that you would like them to change because they're not exactly in the state to be able to receive that information. It's the exact same thing with a kid. Um, this has just been a total game changer for me in the way that I view my kids when they're acting out. I am certainly very, very far from perfect, um, but it has saved me a lot of agony. So the other side of this is something that Randy talks about in one of her episodes on my podcast as well, which is that when our kid is acting out, the first thing we need to do is investigate. What is causing them to have such extreme emotions? Is it possible that they're tired or that they're hungry or that they have some sort of need that's being met? And she goes into much bigger detail about what needs our kids might be having when they're in that state. Um, I found that so many times when I was picking Selma up from school and she was particularly upset that day and I was starting to get agitated um, around her behavior, I would get home and realize she had a fever and I had no idea and I would feel terribly about it. Um, our kids often act out or act differently than we're used to them behaving when there's some underlying reason. And by addressing that reason, we save ourselves so much grief by taking personally whatever's going on for them. So this was hugely um, life-changing for me and just has saved me so much grief as a parent. I highly recommend listening to Randy's episodes and learning more. 
My second major takeaway from the Look Ma No Hands podcast came from a recent episode with Kylie Mitchell on taking the stress out of mealtime. This was a game changer for me as well. Kylie completely reshapes the conversation that we have around how to feed our children and for me just took so much stress out of the mealtime situation. There was a time where feeding my oldest daughter. Um, she's what one might call a picky eater, but Kylie really helped me understand that differently. Was the most stressful part of my day to the point that I was looking forward to it maybe two hours ahead of time and my stomach was starting to get into knots. I can't tell you how different it is today. What she really helped me understand, and I do think listening to the entire episode is so useful if this is something that you are dealing with, is that first of all, our kids are picky eaters, if you will, because this is this is actually a survival tool that they have. So certain types of foods that could have poisoned them back in the day, way, way long ago, um, they have an aversion to, and those often include very healthy foods. So it's very normal for a child to have pickiness in the beginning of their lives, ages two, three, and four. Um, and that's exactly what was going on with my kid. And then I'm looking back thinking about me, you know, trying to make her eat her vegetables like every parent before me. And it makes so much sense that she wouldn't want them. So once I have an understanding and acceptance of that, I lay off and mealtime is just way less stressful. She also talked about putting something on the table that you know your child will want to eat, um, even if she doesn't like anything else, and completely letting go of anything that she chooses not to eat. So I've read a lot of things, a lot of suggestions, you know, have your child take one bite. And if they don't like it, they don't have to have anything else. She actually says, you know, they don't have to have a bite of anything they don't want and to just completely let them trust themselves. And as a parent who, you know, our instinct is we need our children to be fed. We need them to survive, right? This is very counterintuitive. But she said that when she sets her family's table at night, she puts two things or one or two things on the table that she knows her kids will really want to eat and that they won't have a problem with. And often those things are something like milk or bread. Um, and the, the idea, you know, my kids love milk, my kids love bread. So the idea that those could be the things that we put on the table um, took so much of the pressure off. And when the pressure is taken off, mealtime just goes so much more smoothly. And I don't have nearly as much guilt around my kids not getting the nutrition they need or not getting what they need um, after doing that interview with her because it helped me put the focus on teaching my children how to trust themselves around mealtime, um, meeting my kids where they're at, and understanding that they have certain limitations around what they are and are not going to want to eat that are completely biological that they're actually going to grow out of. So giving them an opportunity to grow and evolve and just being there as a supportive family member. Other things that have actually really helped me around mealtime is, you know, my husband loves to cook. I absolutely love his food. Every once in a while, he'll make something that I'm not necessarily into, and he really wants me to try a bite of it. And it's hard for me to take a bite of something that I don't want to eat. So being in that scenario um, in reverse really has helped me understand, yeah, I really wouldn't want to be Selma in this situation with somebody shoving something down my throat that I don't want to eat. As the parent, of course, we're coming from a different perspective. I get so many messages about mealtime. How do I deal with this? I'm so worried. This episode, I think, really covers all of the high points of that stress. And I highly recommend it if that's something that you find yourself dealing with. My third major takeaway from the Look Ma No Hands podcast comes with my first out of now five episodes with Megan Burkle, um, the founder of Willow Crowns. She talked about making a list of the things that weren't working her in her life and just fixing them. This was such a basic, straightforward 
obvious in your face piece of life advice that I had never thought of or practiced. And it was a huge game changer for me. So she talks about at a certain point in her life, really feeling like there were a lot of things that were slowing her down and that weren't making her happy. And one day she just sat down and made a list of all of them. And some of them were even like little things. I can't think of any of her examples at the moment, but I know mine at the time were having my kids wake me up every morning. Um, that at the, I mean, right now that's not something that's bothering me because we're in quarantine and I don't really have anywhere to be fast. But, um, when things were blowing and going, um, having my kids wake me up every morning and feeling really lethargic, um, and rushing to get dressed and get out the door was something that was really not, it wasn't a great way to start my day. So I started making a list of just all of those things. What are things that I run into during the day that really either slow me down or make me feel less happy or less joyful. And it was, I mean, even down to drawers that I try to open in my house that won't open or that are super messy. And little by little, I just went in and I organized them and I changed those things. And we so rarely think of solutions being so straightforward, but in this case, they really were. And they actually helped me see other areas in my life where things really weren't working for me um, in pretty major ways. And I did some pretty major overhauls. This was right before quarantine happened. And I honestly look at my life today since having done that interview, I think it was about six months ago. And there are so many things about my life that are fundamentally different, which all came from really implementing very small changes. So I highly recommend, again, listening to that full episode if that is a piece of guidance that intrigues you. The next one is Joshua Wayne, his episode on screen time and relationships with our kids being more important than schoolwork. I loved this episode so much because as a child growing up, this was the major point of tension between my parents and I. And while I really wanted to thrive in school, um, and this is something that Joshua talks about in his episode and Randy has also talked about in hers, um, our kids actually really want to do well. They want to succeed and they want to make us happy and they want to impress us and they want to be doing well. It makes them happy when they're doing well. So I just remember wanting to be doing really well in school. Um, And when I look at myself and my intelligence level and my work ethic, there's absolutely no reason why I should not have been doing well in school growing up. So Joshua talks about how a lot of times, you know, we'll have great relationships with our kids and as our kids get older, um, those relationships really come, um, fall to the wayside because we're harping on their schoolwork and on their productivity. And if they're not getting something, we're treating that as being more important than our relationship with, with our kids. But he says, you know, the best, the most successful children aren't necessarily the ones who got the best grades. They're the ones with the most confidence. They're the ones with the most charisma and they have really great relationships with the people who are supposed to be supporting them. So he talks about how important it is your, your goal as a parent, the number one goal way, way, way ahead of your kid doing well in school should be to have a seat on their board of directors, that you do not need to be the head of the board, you don't need to be the president of the board, but you need to be on the board, and that every kid has one. So that board of directors is comprised of celebrities and people that they see on social media and friends that they have at school and people whose input they treasure and value, and that no matter what, your goal as a parent needs to be on it. So I think about what it means to be on my kids' board of directors and how I get there, and that means being a supportive voice for them and a place where they know they can come um, and they can be safe and they can talk to me. And I had a therapist who actually gave me advice around this a while ago. 
um, which has helped me tremendously in this area. My two and a half year old was coming home from school every day and telling me these really outlandish tall tales about her teachers being mean to her and hitting her. And I knew all these stories weren't true. And I didn't understand why my daughter was telling me these stories over and over again. So my reaction as a parent was just to insist to her that these things weren't true, that she wasn't really getting hit. I was focusing on her not lying to me and explaining to her that that wasn't a good thing to do. Um, And my therapist helped me see things differently. Your kid is coming to you and trying to see if you're going to hear her story and how you're going to receive it. Give her the, get, let her see that you are a safe space here. Ask her questions about what happened in her day. Don't immediately tell her that she's not right about how she feels. Um, for I would know that you know Selma had a great day at school. Her teachers would say Selma had a great day, and she would come home and she would say, "Mom, I had a terrible day." And I would want to say, "But your teacher said you had a great day." So how would you feel if you came home and you were trying to tell your parent that you had a horrible day at school, and your parent was insisting that you didn't? You would probably feel like you couldn't really talk to them. So I started instead just asking her questions about whatever her version of the truth was. And the way that I think about it now is I'm trying to get to the point where my kid is going to tell me about her first boyfriend, right? I want to hear that. I want to be the first person. And the way that I get there is from these little moments when they're growing up. Um, can she tell me about her teacher being mean? Can she tell me that she had a really hard day at school? And so Joshua goes into a lot more detail about this and why it's so important to be on that board of directors over everything else. And I treasure, um, I treasure that piece of advice. So number six comes from our resident sex therapist, as I like to call her, Dr. Emily Jamia. She's been on the show several times now, and she said something sort of like offhandedly in her episode. It wasn't necessarily a piece of advice, but it's something I've thought about constantly ever since. She said that people come to her um, and they have great, a great relationship, a great marriage. And they're like, hey, you know, we only have sex once a month. Um, and we don't know if that's enough and we wanted to talk to you about it. And she's like, well, what is it specifically that makes you feel like whatever you're doing isn't the right amount? And they're like, well, Oprah said, you know, that you should be having sex like eight times a week or whatever it is, or this article said this and, or she'll have people who come in and they have sex constantly and they're not sure if that's the right thing to be doing. And that everyone sort of has this feeling from growing up in the world that we live in that there's somebody out there who knows what we should be doing, that there's a right answer. And what she described in this episode was there's only what's right for you. And that if whatever you're doing in your relationship with your spouse or in your relationship with your children is working for you, that's what matters the most. Um, that she would say to that couple, hey, if this is a, if this number of times that you are having sex is working, great, great. Don't get so wrapped up on the number of times that you should be doing something. And this seems, again, like another straightforward, easy to understand piece of guidance. But I mean, how many, I can't think of how many areas of my life I've thought, well, you know, I should be working out this many times a week. Like there's a number of times that we should be doing something in order to be doing it right or well enough. And really, there's only what works for us. And I found that to be very freeing. Number seven also comes from Randy Rubenstein. This was the episode I did with her in quarantine, and it was talking about how mommy's time is really important and showing that to our kids. So I think when the quarantine began, um, a lot of us went into overdrive trying to provide this sort of magical experience for our children and to meet all of their needs. Um, And we were really in survival mode. And I think our own needs, at least in my case especially, went out the window. And she talked about how it's okay to really signal to our children, you know, put our headphones on and signal to them that mommy's having her time right now. And that showing them that is actually a really valuable skill 
showing our kids that mommy has needs and that mommy needs to take a shower and that mommy needs to eat her breakfast and that mommy needs to do all these things by gently just pointing at our headphones and saying, this is mommy's time right now. I'll be back with you later, um, is a really valuable lesson for them. And we're really teaching them how to be, um, how to take care of themselves. Number eight comes from um, Amanda Armbruster. She did the episode on my podcast on how to talk to a two-year-old, which has been beloved because as anyone who's ever had a two-year-old would know, it's it's pretty useful to have some tools on how to talk to those two-year-olds. She actually didn't mention this on my podcast, but she has an awesome Instagram feed. If you want to follow her, it's at Take a Break Tots. And I've learned so many tangible tools for dealing with my toddlers from following her on Instagram. And one of them she shared recently, she talked about how she has this giant reset button in her toddler's room and that when they start the day and they get off the wrong foot and they're in the kitchen and her toddler's having a meltdown, um, sometimes her, her, her or her husband will take the toddler upstairs to their room to press the reset button and to start over. And she mentions that this is a tool that can be used up until a child is about 10 years old. Um, and makes a huge difference in changing their mindset. And ever since then, I haven't done a big reset button yet, but I have put one on my hand and told my daughter she can press it. And I found it to be a really valuable tool. That and just saying, hey, let's start over and showing kids that we can always start over in the present moment um, has been super valuable. Number nine comes from the very early days of the podcast. Um, Natalie Weekly from Signature Style talks about being short on time, but long on style and gives um, a now infamous piece of guidance on how she used a stopwatch to see how long it actually takes her to get ready in the morning, that it takes about seven minutes for her to blow dry her hair and like 10 minutes for her or five minutes for her to put her makeup on, that so many of us thinks it, think it takes us like 30 or 45 minutes to do those things, but we've never actually timed ourselves. It actually usually doesn't take that long. And that if we set a timer um, and get the time right, we actually realize that we only need about 10 minutes to ourselves in the morning to really make a huge difference in our day by getting ready, putting on an outfit that we love, blow drying our hair, doing our hair, putting our makeup on. Um, this was a game changer for me and I know for so many of you because when I looked at it that way, it didn't really seem like there was any reason why I wouldn't stop and do those things for myself in the morning before taking my kids to school. And just being ready for the day has made me feel so much better um, so many times. And it's just, it's made me feel ready for the day just by getting ready and, and putting my makeup on and, and feeling like I look like myself. Um, it was an awesome piece of guidance that I think about all the time. Um, so I actually said that was number nine, but now I'm on number nine. Cause I think I skipped one down here. Um, so here's the real number nine. Um, so we pushed a lot in my household growing up. We, there was a lot of emphasis on doing things all the time, being productive. Even on the weekend, I remember my mom coming into my room when I was sleeping in and just letting me know that it was getting late. Um, and it, it was like downtime was not really something that was emphasized. And so I'm reading a book right now and it's called Do Less by Kate Northrup. I highly recommend it. Um, this isn't necessarily a lesson that I've learned from doing my podcast, um, doing the interviews, but it is a lesson that I've learned from being a podcast host and having two kids and wanting to show my children that rest and relaxation and restoration is a really important part of the game. So I highly recommend reading her book. It has made eons of difference in how I live my life and how I host this podcast and how I make time for my work and my family um, and how I treat relaxation and rest as a value in my home. 
at this point in time, and I was laughing with my husband about this earlier, I'm not really sure my kids would think of me as the most relaxed human being. So if that makes you feel any better. Um, but I am I am headed towards that goal. That is what I want more of in my life. And, um, you know, early childhood is very, very stressful. So I don't really expect anyone who is parenting young children to be um, the Buddha at, at all. But uh, there are real, some real tools that have helped me get to a calmer space. And her book is really one of them. So here's the last one. And this is the overarching takeaway from the last 49 episodes of Look Ma No Hands. I started this podcast not only because I love interviewing people and learning more. I was obsessed with being a great parent. And I didn't know that. Um, it meant so much to me to be able to do this job as best I possibly could. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but some of them were that I had wished my experience growing up was different and I wanted to provide a different one for my children. And I was very hard on myself. I was very hard on myself about getting it right. I was very hard on myself about doing it perfectly. And instead of looking at that, I wanted to find ways to do it perfectly. I felt like I would heal that wound by just finding a way to perfect parenting like so many before me. Um, of course, I know and I knew then that that wasn't going to work, but I've definitely been searching um, over the years since becoming a parent for ways that I could diminish the pain that I felt through perfectionism, which is something that I've done my whole life, whether I'm a parent or not. Um, once I identified that, I think the episodes of this podcast have really grown and evolved because I've realized that the best parenting book out there isn't really about parenting. It's about it's about taking care of ourselves and that when we're happy, our children are happy and that parenting starts with us. Most of us have some amount of reparenting to do, um, some amount of looking inward that we need to do, some ways that we wish things were done differently when we were growing up. And for me, addressing those issues as I've become a parent, the work isn't done when we become parents. I think there was a part of me that thought, you know, I've done so much work in my life on myself. And when I became a parent, it felt like, well, whatever I'm experiencing right now, it's real. It's based in reality. It has nothing to do with my past experiences. But really, the work in many ways had just begun. And as soon as I stopped looking outward for ways that I could heal that pain, of um, my own childhood by becoming this perfect parent, I was given so much more freedom because I'm a very imperfect parent. Um, but giving myself the love that I have needed and accepting the love from others around me has helped me um, live just a happier and more joyful life, which I know is the number one ingredient to my kids doing the same. I think we become parents and our children become the most important thing in the entire world to us. And that's such a wonderful thing. If we've experienced any level of trauma in our lives, this can be really triggering because we have a hard time putting ourselves first or knowing what our needs are. And coupled with having children, it's almost like they go completely out the window. So it's been a hard earned lesson for me that I will always be learning to put my needs first, to take care of myself and understand that in doing so, I am giving the best gift in the entire world to my children. And as these episodes progress, I learn that more and more. And I try to share that with all of you from the people that I interview and putting the focus back on mom or on the adult or on the human. I know many people who listen to this podcast aren't moms and I love that. One of my favorite 
blogs when I wasn't a mom was written by a mother about motherhood. That This is certainly not an exclusive subject and um, pertains to a lot of other areas in life. So, you know, parenting books are amazing. They've helped me in so many ways, um, finding tangible tools for how to deal with conflicts with my kids um, and become a better parent um, on a surface level. And I'm grateful for those tools. I am so grateful for so many of the tools I have learned um, through doing interviews on this podcast, but the best parenting tool um, is really starting with ourselves. How do we treat ourselves? What does that relationship look like? Because our children are looking to us as an example. And for me, that's the greatest gift in the world, that the more we love ourselves, the happier our children really are, the more we're able to give to ourselves to stop, to refuel our tank. Um, the happier everybody in our family is, the more the more patience we have. Throughout the life of this podcast, I've really completely rewritten my understanding of normal as far as what it means to really take time for myself and the amount of time that I spend with my children and really looking at myself as a whole person who has a lot of needs that need to be met in order to do all the jobs that I have to do and being a very important person at that. And I'm grateful for um, everyone who has been instrumental in helping me learn and uncover that truth. And I'm so grateful to all of you for listening. I so appreciate your support, your encouragement, um, sharing this podcast with your friends. It has meant the world to me. And I look forward to joining you for many, many more episodes of Look Ma, No Hands. I will talk to you all again very soon. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time.